HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro. Now, if you're like me and you love all things dairy, this show is for you. Dairy-related agritourism is attracting visitors to the Midwest, and our guests on today's show are leading the way in creating educational, informative, and fun hands-on farm activities. Dan Young, CEO and Chief Ice Cream Dipper at Young's Jersey Dairy, shares how he has made his family farm in Yellow Springs, Ohio, a must-visit destination. Lynn Bolin, co-owner of New Day Dairy, tells me she and her husband Dan thought people may enjoy sleeping with the cows, so they opened up a guest barn on their Iowa farm to do just that. But my first guest this hour is veterinarian and dairy farmer Lindsay Borst. Lindsay is part owner of the Moo House and Borst Family Dairy in Minnesota. Lindsay, we are happy to have you uh, on the program. You know, I happen to just love anything that has to do with anything that's derived from dairy. So selfishly, um, I think this might be one of one of my more favorite uh, interviews and episodes. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, tell us, just kind of start from the beginning. Um, you know, people may be a little bit surprised that, you know, there are women involved in the dairy industry. I think that, you know, oftentimes, unfortunately, female voices aren't necessarily amplified in agriculture and in any form, whether it's livestock, dairy, you know, um, farming of any nature. And you have a, you have a great story. So, you know, give us, give us your once upon a time there was a cow. So yeah, I'll start off by telling you a little bit about our farm. Um, so our farm is a fourth generation dairy farm. It's operated by my husband, Kevin, his brother, Kyle, and then uh, their dad and uncle, uh, Matt and Larry. Um, so they're on the farm full-time, and I, Lindsay, am on the farm part-time. Um, I'm actually a 
veterinarian by trade. So um, during the day, I'm off uh, doing calf consulting with other dairies. And then uh, in all my free time, I'm usually at the dairy helping out where I can, whether it's um, helping with calves or um, milking cows or whatever needs to be done. Um, Sounds like there's a lot of free time there. Oh yeah, a ton of free time. <laughs> there's not a lot of free time on a dairy. There's always something to do. Yeah, no question. And and I I hear that from so many folks uh, in in ag in general. I mean, and, and frankly, in all small businesses, you know, you're you're wearing so many different hats. You're doing so many different things. But you know, anything in agriculture is there's it's labor intensive. There are so many different factors that go into you know the the end product that you, that you put out. Um, so you're a veterinarian, yes, um, as well, um, which I think is really fascinating because, um, you know, we don't again often see um, someone that is in farming working with animals and livestock actually also being a vet. So you, I'm assuming, provide that service and expertise. Not you mentioned you you do some other consulting, but for your own uh, dairy cows as well, right? Yep. Yeah. So I'm our resident vet at a, at our farm in addition to helping manage some other things. Um, and I've worked in the dairy, dairy industry now with a lot of other farms for, for about seven years. So mm -hmm. I really, I really, in, I enjoy the dairy industry in general. The people are great. Now, do you have a, a do you have dairy roots um, in Minnesota or, um, you know, like your husband or um, is this something, you know, kind of uh, out of the blue, um, maybe not something you would have anticipated doing, um, you know, in your adult life. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I always tell people I did not grow up on a real dairy farm, but my mom is a veterinarian as well. And growing up, um, there was a lot of dairy in the area that I grew up. Um, I'm originally from Nicollet, Minnesota, which is a teeny tiny town in South Central Minnesota. So I grew up going on a lot of farm calls with her, and that kind of was my first exposure to dairy farms. As I got old enough to be in things like 4-H, I leased animals mm -hmm. from a few farms um, and kind of got the bug for for the dairy cow that way. Um, and as I got into college, I, I knew I maybe wanted to go to vet school, but at that point I was still maybe thinking, you know, small animals, the more traditional dogs and cats, but... I found myself really drawn to the quote-unquote dairy kids <laughs> at the <laughs> University of Minnesota, um, and that's kind of how I, I ended up doing, you know, solely uh, dairy veterinary medicine once I got done with vet school. That's incredible. I, I, you've, you've mentioned two things I want to touch on, first being 4-H and its impact, because we've talked about 4-H on this program before, 4-H, um, FFA, those sort of things, and, you know, people that aren't necessarily exposed to 4-H or FFA uh, in their communities. So, you know, we have listeners from all over the country and, and the world. Um, you know, how did the 4-H, uh, you know, really kind of impact your interest um, and, and maybe shape how you, you know, went into vet school and then later actually into the industry? Yeah, I owe 4-H a lot towards steering me where I am today. Um, like I said, they have really great programs like the lease program where, you know, if you're not the typical dairy farm kid and you don't have your own cows, you can actually um, lease a, a dairy calf or a heifer for the summer to, to show at the fair. 
Um, and through that experience, I got to meet a lot of dairy kids. Um, and some of them are still some of my my closest friends and really good contacts within the dairy industry. And, um, you know, just got me on dairy farms and exposed to it more. And that's, it's really, that's what I owe to, to getting me where I am today and developing my passion I have for the dairy industry. I love that because like I said, when we, when I did a, an episode, um, I believe it was last summer, um, about 4-H FFA and the Grange actually, Mm -hmm. and kind of about ag education and its impact. Um, you know, you really are a real life story, um, of, the value of that um, of the programs of 4-H and, and that lasting impact. So um, then, okay, so my next question, because you mentioned you went into, you know, you kind of specialized in being in like dairy veterinary medicine, if I heard Correct. that correctly. Correct. Um, is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. What makes that specialty unique? What goes into that? What was your training like? that allowed you to be a specialist for for uh, for dairy cows? So, you know, within, while well, you're in veterinary school, um, the University of Minnesota is great because uh, they do have kind of a quote-unquote tracking option. So you can, you know, kind of decide while you're in school, do I want to specialize in um, dogs and cats? Do I want to specialize in horses? Do I want to specialize in cows? Do I just want to learn how to do all of it really well? Um and so I kind of decided to track the, you know, the dairy cattle route. Um, so there were kind of special opportunities to us who chose to do that to get more experience on large dairy farms, um, you know, in, in all areas, whether it's, you know, keeping the whole herd healthy versus um, learning how to treat an individually sick cow. Um, Mm. you know, and through that, you have a lot of opportunities to ride with a lot of dairy veterinarians throughout the country too. So that's, that was kind of some of my special training that I had. So obviously, I mean, you really did steer, steer right into it. Um, so you wear these dual hats as we have discussed, how has being a veterinarian specializing in dairy cows influence the lens in which you think about dairy production on a farm, you know, where ultimately you are, you know, putting out a product? I think that, um, I think like being, you know, on a dairy farm now every day, being married to a dairy farmer and coming from a veterinary background and coming from a background where, you know, I didn't grow up on a real dairy farm. Like I said, I think that that gives me a um, really different perspective than maybe somebody who grew up on a dairy farm and has seen it done the same way um, their whole life. I think it makes me um, maybe think outside the box a little bit more on how we can do do better for our cows, for our employees, for, um, you know, to make a safer, better product for, at the end of the day, for for our consumers. Um, because I, I do have, you know, kind of just a regular old consumer aspect, not being from a dairy farm. And I have a veterinarian's aspect where I'm thinking about um, food safety, animal comfort, and all of that. So I think that that's been really valuable in um, helping our farm continue to be better and kind of think think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what, do you, what do you see when you go provide your services to, you know, I think you were saying you were a consultant, so not just a vet, mm-hmm. but I guess a consultant to other dairy farms. What do you bring to the table for those other farms? 
I would say kind of some of the same background. Um, I do have the advantage of I do have my own farm at home that I I do get to see how things are are done every day and what's maybe practical and what's not practical, you know, from from a dairy farmer's point of view. But again, I I do have the veterinary experience and and knowledge to know, you know, how disease processes work and um, you know, what what stressors do do an animal as far as their performance and, and health. So again, the farmer veterinarian perspective, it, it does help me kind of communicate a little bit better with with farmers in general. That's great. So um, tell me about your dairy farm, um, kind of, how, you know, what you produce, how much you produce and how you bring it to market. So we milk about 230 Holstein cows. Right now, our cows give on average probably about 10 gallons of milk a day. We grow all of our own crops. We grow corn, uh, soybeans, alfalfa, some cover crops um, such as as ryegrass. Um, and again, most of that goes towards feeding our cows. Um, and we sell a little bit of cash crop too as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess another, another thing that not all dairy farms do is we do raise all of our own um, heifer calf replacements. And uh, we also keep all of our steers as well, and we finish them out from babies all the way out till um, harvest. So I want to circle back to something else um, that we kind of touched upon at the beginning of our conversation, and that is kind of being a female in agriculture and female in dairy. Um, have you? Do you feel that you know um, you've been welcomed? Do you feel that you have? maybe a lot to prove because there aren't as many women, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, there are a growing number of women in dairy farming um, in your experience. Yes. So I will say that there are a ton of women in agriculture. Um, You know, I was just, I was thinking about this this morning, you know, even I think that there, if you're not involved in agriculture, there is probably kind of the stigma that it is more of a male dominated field, but that is definitely not true. You know, I think back to stories, even my my grandma and grandpa farmed their whole career. And I mean, my grandma wasn't just, you know, in the house cooking and folding laundry. I mean, she was out there driving tractor, driving semi, um, picking rock, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I think that there's a lot of women in agriculture who have that same story. Um, you know, same thing with my mom. She was a a female veterinarian working mostly with dairy farmers, and she probably had to face a little more um, hardship, I guess, than I do and acceptance to get that acceptance from those farmers. But um, I think people like her and even my grandma probably paved the way for for people my age who want to be females in agriculture. So, I mean, I work with tons of females on dairy farms. Um, I work with a lot of uh, women owners of really large dairy farmers or dairy farms. So it's it's really common within the dairy industry. Why do you think that is? Is there something specific about dairy maybe than other uh, ag sectors that is drawing women in? I mean, I think that women are definitely natural caregivers when it comes to taking care of animals. Um, so I think that, you know, maybe that's that's a draw for them. They're just naturally really good good at it. Um, on a dairy farm, you usually have a lot going on in a day. Um, you know, you're taking care of the calves, you're taking care of the older cows, you're trying to milk, you're trying to 
um, get the crops and get the hay up. And, um, you know, women are usually pretty good multitaskers and combining that with their good natural caregiving skills, I think they make um, the perfect fit for being a successful dairy farmer. I'm just infinitely like excited to, you know, meet people such as yourself um, that, you know, bring a different perspective are, I think, you know, showing that it's possible for women to be in any industry. And and I think to dispel some uh, stereotypes as well. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, if you're not in the ag industry, maybe it surprises you um, that there are so many women in dairy. I think it's fascinating to, I, I think that the whole aspect of, you know, being a caregiver um, and integrating that caregiving and as you as a vet, I'm sure that, you know, that's very top of mind oh, yeah. um, as you, um, you know, engage with your dairy cows. It's not just, you know, about, you know, getting that milk. It's It's about making sure that, you know, those animals are well taken care of and, um, you know, are, you know, nourished properly. And, and um, you know, all of that is, is I think, very important. And I, consumers, I'm sure, are, you know, incredibly uh, concerned about those things too. Oh, yes, um, for sure. That's definitely become something that I've tried to do a lot more the last couple of years is try and get the the right story out to consumers because, People are so separated from where their food actually comes from now. They just, they simply don't know and they want to know that there's somebody out there who can answer their questions. You're absolutely um, right about that. Um, I I do want to know, we were just talking about consumers and kind of who is your end user? Like who do you supply to? So all of our milk gets shipped to um, AMPI Cooperative. They have a few different plants throughout the Midwest. Um, most of their milk gets made into butter or cheese. Um, they don't do a lot of retail. They just came out with their own um, uh, brand called Dinner Bell Creamery. It's in a few, I think there's in a few high V's, mostly in Minnesota. And for folks that are not familiar, high V is a grocery store chain. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, but mostly a lot of, um, so a lot of their butter or our butter. Um, that comes from our cows, butter and cheese goes into um, food service and, and those sort of, sort of avenues. Right. So more commercial. Yep. Yep. Supplying rather yep. than the retail outlets. Right. Is there a reason for that? Is there is there a different grade, so to speak, as far as retail versus, for lack of a better term, industrial consumers? No, not really. I think it's just... Um, I'm not sure that's just the kind of the avenue that that they've gotten into. Um, they have gotten into more, I was going to say, um, more, I want to say higher-end restaurants, but um, more, less food, some food service. But they are, I think, the num- the main cheese provider for all the Shake Shacks in China now, I believe, too. Whoa. Yeah, that's like kind of a new, a new thing that um, AMPI has been very excited about. So we're excited, too, since... That's our milk going over to China. I was going to say, you're going global. (laughs) Yeah. You're going global. That's (laughs) that's unbelievable. So from from a small town in Minnesota to, um, you know, one of the largest countries on the planet to China, uh, your your milk is going all the way around the globe. That's incredible in the the cheese. So before I let you go, I just want to ask one more question. Um, because like I said, we have a, a pretty, you know, diverse audience from all over the world. Um, you know, some people may have exposure to ag, some may not. 
If there's one thing that you want our audience to know about the dairy industry, what would it be? I think it would be just that how much we really do care for our cows and how much time and energy and thought we put into how we take care of cows. You know, everything we do, we do it for a reason. Um, And if anyone ever has any questions about what we're doing or why we're doing it, um, there's a lot of different farmers on social media that are pretty accessible and more than willing to answer questions. Um, so instead of believing everything you like see on Google, ask a farmer instead, because I think we're the ones who should get a right to, to tell our story. I totally agree. Um, you know, I, and I can say that, you know, over the last, I guess, gosh, 18 years now of kind of being around ag and learning, you know, 18 years ago when I, yeah, I knew zero, um, you know, kind of growing up in the suburbs. And now I, I have such a great appreciation um, for the ag industry and um, know so much more. Um, so I think what we need to remember <laughs> is ask a farmer. Thank you yes. so much, Lindsay, for, for being with us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. You've been listening to Eat Your Heartland Out with me, Capri Cafaro. This hour, we're traveling the Midwest in search of some of the best agritourism experiences on offer. Our next guest is another leader in regional agritourism that focuses on dairy. Dan Young is CEO and Chief Ice Cream Dipper at Young's Jersey Dairy in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Dan, thanks for being on the show with us. Thank you for inviting me today. I appreciate it. Well, you combine two of my favorite things, uh, being from Ohio and dairy. So dairy and Ohio, two of my favorite topics, and uh, hopefully our listeners will agree. Um, but you you and Young's Jersey Dairy have a really long history in Ohio, uh, which I, I think is just fantastic. And you've really evolved over generations, really. Uh, so take us back to the 1800s when um, the farm started. Sure. Thank you. The uh, The farm was founded by Members of the Young family weren't, weren't the last name of Young, but it was a Young on a tree of the branch kind of thing in 1869. And at that time, it was basically just the kind of typical farm. Uh, they kind of did a little bit of everything and dairy cows included, but also raising some grain and some hogs and et cetera. And then we fast forward a little bit into the uh, early 1900s, like the, during the Great Depression, the family lost the farm. Uh, but then in the late 40s, 
Uh, my grandfather, Hap Young, was able to buy it back from a couple of neighbors because he had three sons, Carl, Bob, and Bill, which, of course, in a farm economy, especially at that point, meant really cheap labor. And so sure. <laughs> it's a good way to kind of restart the farm and get it going. Then for about 10 years, that's what we did. We, were, we did our 60 acres, our barn. Uh, we milked cows down the road. We had another farm that we rented that we raised hogs in, and we did maybe rented another five or 600 acres from local uh, landowners to do corn and wheat, soybeans, and all sorts of things like that. Then in the late 50s, my uh, father and his two brothers decided, to, why don't we try to sell our produce, which at the time was mainly milk, uh, straight to the public. So they bought a used refrigerator and some used milk bottles and put a sign up that said 60 cents a gallon. And our local neighbors, mainly from Yellow Springs, about a couple miles down the road, would show up and make their own change, which is pretty cool, <laughs> and leave their, leave their empty milk bottle there and grab the full one. And that was really kind of the beginning of us becoming a different or more than a farm, basically inviting folks onto our farm to enjoy what we were producing. Well, you really have become, I think, a destination, I could say, you know, over the last um, several decades from when you're you're talking about, you know, kind of uh, filling up glass milk bottles and, and exchanging them uh, within the neighborhood and, and now really becoming uh, a tourist attraction in Ohio and, and, you know, throughout the region. And and this is something that, you know, we always like to celebrate here on the show about agritourism and um, all that it has to offer, because it's not just, you know, farm tours, uh, it's it's a whole lot more. And, uh, you know, you've also managed to uh, take your milk and do a lot of other things with it, including cheese and ice cream and, and a whole host of other things. So um, those products are also sold there um, at your location. Let's let's actually let's start with cheese and then we'll go on to ice cream. So let's sure. the the origin story of the cheese. I know that you you all had had uh, I think had worked with um uh maybe Amish cheese uh, suppliers previously when you really started out with your first store and things have kind of meandered from there. Yeah, I remember back in the sixties we would drive up with our farm pickup and get a, like a two hundred pound wheel of Swiss cheese from Northern Ohio and Amish country. And then we stopped by. That's my neck of the woods. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and that that was always so cool. And and then we get a stop by a different cheesemaker and get a few blocks of Colby, and that was about it. At that point, we bring them back and cut them up and sell them in the store as we kept adding more things on, just besides just the milk. Uh, And then about uh, thirteen, about fourteen years ago, we thought, well, gee, why don't we make our own cheese? It seemed like a thing to do, and so we. Spent a year visiting some other farms and, um, and you know, out of Ohio, in Ohio, seeing how they were doing, a lot of really small operations and just getting an idea of how that works. Uh, we spent a couple of days at The Ohio State University at their dairy science department. They set up a little program for us to learn how to make cheese. And, and then we sent a couple of them, my cousin and our, our longtime, our dairy production manager, to uh, University of Vermont. They did a at the time they were doing an artisan cheese institute. Yeah. So we learned how to make cheese. And uh, at the very beginning, I can say, you know, 13 years ago now, 13 and a half years ago when we first started making it, uh, we ended up donating quite a bit of cheese 
<laughs> to local <laughs> to local food banks because it was nutritious. It just wasn't. We didn't know what to call it other than cheese because uh, it wasn't quite what we wanted. But we learned, and uh, and now we're making right around seventy thousand pounds of cheese a year, of which we wow. sell ninety eight percent of it right here on our farm. We got a couple small accounts that do things with it, but other than that, we sell it all here. And uh, it's, it's been a, a great journey as we've learned how to make better cheese. And, um, and we're looking at to make a couple of new flavors. Right now we're making the cheddar cheese, Colby, Pepper Jack, Baby Swiss. And mm-hmm. this winter, when it slows down a little bit, we're going to get back. We tried Gouda a few years ago, just wasn't happy with it. But we're going to make a take another swing at it and see if we can make a Gouda that we, that's Gouda, so to speak. <laughs> Gouda, that's Gouda. Sorry, I will. I, yeah. you, I, 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 if I were you, I couldn't help it either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, uh, you obviously got something right there in the intervening years from donating, you know, kind of this, I don't know, generic failed cheese product. Yeah. Uh, to to obviously, you know, having a number of different types of cheese and selling, you know, most of them. Uh, how did you end up improving so much? You know, how did you? tweak it what what kind of things did you have to go back to the drawing board to to kind of get it right yeah good question we get we keep meticulous records every batch we make we're up to batch i think we're up to like 3800 batches since the beginning that we've made and meticulous records how many culture we put in when we put in a rennet what the temperature was how many pounds of milk we started with what was the yield stuff like that Mm-hmm. Especially when you're talking about cheddar, the aged cheddar. I mean, the oldest one we're selling right now is a little over five years old. Oh, wow. And so you eat that. I always like to think about this. You eat that. You say, you know, that's pretty good, but I think we could make tweak a little bit less salt or a little bit more salt or something like that. And then I got to wait five years uh, right. <laughs> to, to test that out, the new recipe, so to speak. And so um, it's really, we certainly talked to other cheesemakers and the, the folks we met when we were learning, uh, the the more food science people who know mm-hmm. a lot more that's the details of it, more of the science rather than the art, and they can point us in the proper direction. Um, but also, on the, on the cheese making as well as ice cream, but also cheese is uh, we listen to our customers because they give us great sure. feedback, good or bad. And at their at the very beginning, maybe ten years ago. We had some of our guests coming from, We, as you mentioned earlier, we're kind of a destination place. So we tend to get people from out of state, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, et cetera, and plenty of other places. But those two specifically, guests would come in and say, oh, you're making your own cheese. Yeah. And they said, well, you need to make the curds. Oh, of course. Well, Wisconsin is all about the curds. Now it's about 70% of, of our cheese that we make is fresh cheddar curds. And most of those, we uh, bread with a, some Italian breading or a recipe and deep fry them and sell them as a side choice at a restaurant. And we sell much more cheddar curds, deep fried cheddar curds, than we do French fries, which is wow. crazy. Well, I mean, you are a dairy, not a potato farm. so I This mean, is that's... true. <laughs> well, since you put it that way, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But you're right, though. I mean, people in in Ohio in particular are not really familiar with cheese curds. And so they don't necessarily sound 
appealing necessarily if you don't really know what they are. It kind of like tasting is believing. And so, you know, obviously you've done something right there as well, where people are coming back for those and surpassing them for something that they do know, which is French fries. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's saying something for your product. Now you have more than just cheese. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. You also have ice cream and ice cream. I think you all started maybe about 40 years ago. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, 81 when we first started making our own ice cream before that it was made for us by another dairy that's no longer there in the uh, city of Dayton. So we decided when they were having trouble and going out of business, basically, um, we said, well, this can't be that hard. <laughs> so once again, went to the, the Iowa State University. We do have three dairy science degrees, not me, of a young family member members, uh, but none of them. It was more like how to milk a cow, uh, right. not really how to make ice cream. So went back to the library and read up on the science of it and some recipes. And we bought a machine that made five gallons of ice cream at a time, a batch freezer. And we started making it, my cousin Ben and I, we started making it in 1981. And that was really one of the best decisions we ever made because we can make whatever flavor we want, whenever we want, and uh, in whatever quantities. We didn't really have to wait for it to come around on, on another company's you know, flavor rotation or something like that. And it really gives us an opportunity to experiment with flavors, try some wacky ones. And, uh, and, you know, different ones, maybe I shouldn't say wacky, but, you know, different ones uh, that aren't going to replace vanilla. <laughs> right. But are for the adventurous types, which is probably 10, 15 percent of our ice cream customers like to try something different pretty much every time. And so it's fun to be able to do that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and it is really, I think, the space around ice cream has become a lot more experimental over the last, you know, decade or, or two decades, really. You know, we see people like Jenny's ice cream from Columbus that has now become a household name across the country. But, you know, when I first went to Columbus, and I, like I said, I'm from Northeastern Ohio, I'm like, what is this olive oil, violet, like what? You know, yeah. and so maybe I'm not quite as, uh, you know, adventure, adventurous, but there's definitely a market out there for this kind of thing. And Obviously, you know, you all are uh, excited to experiment. How do you do that? I mean, what is your test kitchen like, so to speak, when, when you're trying to figure out new flavors um, that are a little bit wacky? Yeah, well, to the, the, the find a new flavor, A, you know, we got to come up with the idea. Quite often those come from our guests, sometimes our staff, sometimes things that we see, uh, sometimes from Jenny's because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I met her. Uh, this probably 15 years ago, she and I were on a panel at the Ohio Restaurant Association talking about ice cream and flavors. And, uh, you know, I was inspired by some of the stuff that she was doing. I said, well, let's see what we can do. We're a bit more mainstream than that, but there's room yeah. to try other things. So right now, for example, we're working on one that's going to be rosemary, cheddar, roasted pine nuts ice cream. Huh. And so it's going to be rosemary herb. It's going to be our cheddar curd pieces uh, that we got crumbles, we call them, that are always kind of a byproduct of making our, our deep fried ones. And we're going to throw a little bit of olive oil in there and we're going to toast some pine nuts and throw them in. And our ice cream uh, manager or production manager and I, just Monday, we were trying to figure out 
what is this flavor? Because <laughs> we came up with a name. Now we got to figure out what it means. And so, yeah, we figured out how much of each thing we're going to put in based on, you know, knowledge from other flavors. Right. And we're going to make up a small four or five gallon batch and taste it and probably tweak it a little bit. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's always ice cream. So it's yeah. pretty much always edible and it's always <laughs> good. Just sure. some are better than others. And so honestly, it's not much more sophisticated than that. Uh, we just listen a lot. And every year we try to bring on five or six new flavors and we rotate through ones that we did, you know, well, five years ago, we just haven't had room for them because during the middle of the summer, we're usually dipping 40 or 41 flavors. Oh, and then wow. we, you know, drop, drop down a little bit in the winter time when it's not, even though everybody tells me they eat ice cream year round, I always say, no, you really don't <laughs> because I don't have them lined out the door in January, not in Ohio anyway, to eat ice cream. But, but that's pretty much the process. So it's a lot of, a lot of trial and error, a lot of inspiration from different places, pulling them from different places and, you know, getting feedback from your customers, which, you know, you can't think of a better, you know, place to get that feedback than the end user, right? People that are eating and then eating it yourself, of course, 40 some flavors. I mean, you guys are, are, are killing Baskin Robbins with their 31. Forget it. I mean, that's a lot of flavors. I, I mean, what are some of the other crazy ones? Rosemary cheddar pine nuts is, is definitely a unique one, but uh, any other really off the wall ones that actually ended up being popular? Uh, I don't know. In the end up being popular, probably not. <laughs> um, but we did, I mean, we got a flavor now that was really inspired by our, our guests on Facebook, which was a salty caramel. We started mm. making it maybe eight or nine years ago. And we kept getting a lot of messages on Facebook. You ought to make this flavor. So we had, at the time, hadn't heard of it, tried it, found it somewhere else. It was delicious. But that's a, a, also an example of a flavor we had for a number of years. And then just a year, maybe two years ago, um, we decided to improve it. And we now are swirling more caramel in it. So what could be better than sea salty caramel? Well, sea salty double caramel. Agreed. One of our beginning flavors, the first flavors that Ben and I made was a chocolate fudge brownie, just using the brownies we bake in our bakery. And But just also in about the same time frame, we started swirling in extra chocolate. So it's got a chocolate swirl and chocolate ice cream with our chocolate brownies. And... You know, that's fun too, taking a flavor that's been around for a decade or more and say, well, what could we do to, you know, pump it up, you know, bump it up, make it taste better and some, something a little different for folks to enjoy. And that's fun too. I'm trying to think of a flavor. Um, we did do one a few years ago, also from Facebook. And, but none of the people who voted for it on Facebook really showed up to eat it because. <laughs> It was, I, I kind of asked the same question. What flavor do you want that we don't have? And, and the um, when I say it, you're going to go, of course it didn't work. It was maple flavored ice cream with bacon bits. Bacon was the craze. I, I'm actually surprised. I'm actually surprised that didn't work because that's like a, that really is a thing. Well, it, uh, it wasn't a thing in Yellow Springs, Ohio. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I come from maple country. I come from the maple part of the state and there's like Could be. lots of maple Could be. Yeah, I thought it was good, but it, it just... Uh, it just never took off, and so it was a short-lived uh, trial on that one. Huh. I, give it another shot one of these days. I, I, I think maybe you'd be surprised. I mean, 
I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, like I said, maybe I'm just from Maple Land up here and, and everything that we, you know, we have Maple Fest and all the rest of this stuff. But, um, and I happen to love maple ice cream and I know oh, that, yeah. you know, candied bacon is a thing. So anyway, um, I can see where they were coming from with that. And it's unfortunate they didn't actually show up to try to eat it. But speaking of showing up, um, you now have this, like we've been talking, this destination. It's not just cheese. It's not just ice cream. You have year-round events. Uh, you have, I think, a, 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 an event space and a walnut grove and all kinds of things. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your facility itself and, and some of the events that you offer year-round. Sure. Well, we do have a working dairy farm. You can watch us milk cows every day right next to our big dairy store, which we just opened a new one just a year ago uh, in August. And we also have group picnics and event space for that, outdoor picnics up to, we've done picnics as much as 3,000 people. Um, And obviously we do much smaller groups also. But the events that we have all throughout the year, mainly, you know, during the April to October timeframe, most of them anyway. But like in the fall, we have something called the Wool Gathering, which is a festival of fibers. We have like a hundred and some vendors from a dozen states selling all things wool and we'll have sheep and alpacas and llamas here and some sheep shearing and looms and spinning wool and all kinds of things for that we do a fall pumpkin festival mainly really kind of throughout the whole month of october um, and then we do some family fun events throughout the summer spring and summer as far as deals because we do have besides the restaurant and the farm, we also have some uh, entertainment on the farm, which we have a couple mm. miniature golf courses, udders and putters, uh, driving <laughs> range, batting cage. My wife named that one. She was proud of that. We are too. Um, you know, batting cage coming up here, we got our corn maze, um, Calvin's corny maze, and then our pick your own pumpkins. And we got a haunted wagon ride going on here in, in the weekends in October. So really, throughout the year, we just have a lot of different events. We bless with a now 122 acres, so we got a lot of room to park, folks, and uh, large groups of people. Uh, we we got room to handle them, and we got a great staff right now. About 320 people working here wow. during the summer, and uh, mostly high school and college age. And uh, but they do a great job for us, and and we obviously couldn't exist without them. That is fantastic. Well, uh, you and your team, as as I know you've said before, and I think is your slogan, we create fun for our customers, and it sounds like you certainly do. <laughs> so, Dan, we are so happy that that you've uh, shared your story with us, and hopefully, folks will be coming out and maybe eating that maple bacon ice cream. Someday it might. It'll come back. Just be patient. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. This episode is about the intersection of dairy and agritourism industries in the Midwest. I've been talking with guests from Minnesota and Ohio about how they have transformed their dairy operations into educational and fun tourist attractions. Our last guest hails from Iowa and shares the passion for agritourism with our previous guests. Let's welcome Lynn Bolin, co-owner of New Day Dairy and Guest Barn. Lynn, we're happy to have you on the program. Um, we love dairy, and I'd love to know how you got involved in the dairy industry. Yes, thanks so much for having me. 
I originally am not from a dairy farm at all. So I kind of came into the dairy farming life um, via my husband. And we met in college and got married and eventually ended back up on his family farm, um, which is in Northeast Iowa. And so that's kind of my route from big city girl, Minneapolis area to now rural Iowa on a dairy farm. How has that transition been for you? I mean, I love both parts of it. So one of my favorite things is that I have gotten to experience both, you know, suburbia and now rural America. And, you know, there's a lot to love about both. Um, you're a little bit less anonymous um, in rural you know, Iowa. Um, sure. But I also love that that means that, you know, you get to have those relationships, um, you know, with people that do become a little bit deeper and have lasted, you know, longer and potentially in families generations back. Absolutely. Look, I'm from small town, Ohio. Five generations of my family is from my town. Um, even though they're not farmers, I totally understand what that's like. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm curious, so you came in, I guess, kind of as an outsider, but to a dairy farm in Iowa, um, yep. back in 2011, um, how was that for you at that point to like come into a place that, you know, you didn't grow up and, you know, conceivably everybody there probably knows one another. <laughs> yes. Um, so I would say the thing that is I've had to probably get used to doing the most, especially initially, was asking people, okay, remind me who you are. Because, <laughs> you know, they might know who I am because they had the Christmas card or for whatever reason they, you know, knew. And so I'd say, you know, I'm really sorry. I know who you, you know, you know who I am, but remind me, you know, who you are, which grandparent you know, or, you know, what your family <laughs> is. And now that we, you know, have an online presence and, you know, kind of are promoting our area. And that has still been true because people, you know, know me maybe because of that, um, that I haven't even met even in some of the bigger communities around us. And so they'll say, oh, hey, New Day Dairy. And I'm like, yes, that's me. <laughs> even though obviously my name is Lynn, that's how they, you know, have recognized me. So sure. it's definitely, you know, it's transitioned and been unique. <laughs> So New Day Dairy, um, you know, you said that your husband is a fifth generation dairy farmer uh, from that region. Um, is New Day Dairy part of his family or is that something that you guys started together? Yeah, so it's a spinoff um, is kind of how we would describe it. So his parents are still involved in on a daily basis with the farm. They still live on the original farmstead. And we, in 2015, kind of jumped over the creek um, and kind of from the creek valley up to, you know, the hill that was next to it and built kind of the next generation barn. So we knew that we wanted to come back to the farm. We knew we wanted to keep it in the family, you know, for the known generation. And so we built a new barn. It has a robot that milks the cows. And, um, you know, so they're still involved. It's, you know, we just kind of branded the farm at that point. Sure, sure. So tell us then a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, so the piece that is the most unique about what we do is that we invite people to come, what we call, you know, sleep with the cows. People are not actually literally sleeping next to the cows, you know, cuddling them necessarily in the cows' <laughs> beds, but we have an apartment that is literally attached to the barn. And that apartment has a loft space with two big windows that look directly out 
into the barn where the cows live. So there's 150 cows out there and our guests, when they come stay, can spend, you know, 24-7 cow gazing, as I like to call it, out those windows. And so that is a piece that's totally unique. So it's not just staying on the farm in the old farmhouse, um, but it's actually, you know, immersing yourself in what's going on in the, in the barn on the farm. How did you guys come up with that idea? It ebbed out of, you know, I am originally from the city. And so the farm was not, it was new to me. And so Dan and I both also traveled quite a bit when we were younger. So the farm was novel to me. And then, you know, we had experienced so many different things when we traveled um, around the world when we were younger and appreciated that aspect of traveling and having new experiences. And so we wanted to bring that to the farm. Um, practically, we needed a place to live. And as that kind of came into being, the guest barn was born. And so the guest barn has three bedrooms. They each have their own bathroom. So you know, we have a lot of families that come through. They have their own privacy, um, but then they also have that space together that they can kind of hang out in. Um, and, you know, the entire time that they're there, they get to see what's happening on the farm. Um, they get to cow gaze out those two big loft windows directly into the barn where those cows are living their best life um, <laughs> and see really immersively what it's like to live on a dairy farm. So I'm assuming that even if you just gaze at the cows, right, you can also interact with them, right? Yeah, I think you and your husband do tours, right? Yes, definitely. Because every stay um, we take, you know, people down into the barn, kind of an introductory tour. So up close to the cows, feed them grass or hay, pet the ones that are extra friendly, and then see Rita the robot who milks our cows, see her in action, <laughs> so a real live robot. And then before they leave on their farewell tour, that can be the next day or it might be, you know, four or five days later, then we go out to see the baby calves and get to pet them. And Dan does kind of an extra tour that not everyone adds on, but maybe about half of our guests do. And we call that the Be a Dairy Farmer Challenge Tour. And he has to give that because I don't actually know how to do all of the things that he does during that tour. So he gives people a ride in the tractor. They get to learn how to milk a cow by hand. So even though a robot oh, wow. comes, <laughs> you know, the robot does it on our farm, milking a cow by hand is still on a lot of people's bucket list. So um, they get to milk a cow by hand. They get to bottle feed a calf, um, get to kind of walk amongst the cows, um, you know, scrape a little cow manure, um, which sometimes is kids' favorite thing, kind of look under and the inside of Rita, the robot and see what that is like. And so there's a lot of people that like to do that tour, which is a really, you know, up close oh, and sure. really seeing what it's like. You know, I can't imagine, you know, that people want to come out and experience this because maybe they've never had this opportunity. They don't know anything about agriculture. They don't know anything about cows. How far is like the furthest visitor you've had? Our furthest visitor this spring came all the way from Germany, actually. Wow. That was our first international guest since we opened um, in January of 2020, and there's not been a lot of international travel since sure, then. Sure, sure. But then here, actually, in you know the U.S., we've had really from coast to coast. So from Seattle to New York City to Florida, Texas, um, really the entire 
U.S., we have, you know, represented heavily the Midwest um, because we're, you know, within driving distance of Minneapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, Kansas City, Des Moines, Omaha. Right, right. No, that makes sense. And um, it's wonderful that people want to come out and learn and stay. And I'm, I got to tell you, like, this is something that I would love to do. Um, to spend some time and come out and sleep with the cows and maybe milk a cow. And I have to say, like, since, as I mentioned earlier, I have spent some time on dairy farms. I've never physically, like, been in there and milked the cow. Like, I've done some, like, crazy things. I've fed alpacas. I've done all kinds of stuff. I've not actually milked the cow. So you may have to, like, let me, like, fulfill that on my own bucket list at some point. Before we let you go, Obviously, we want to know what New Day Dairy has on the horizon um, and if there is anything you guys have planned for this guest dairy barn, um, as I know people are going to be excited, just as I am, that want to come out and visit. Yeah. So, you know, we are just kind of in our first normal-ish year. Um, And so, you know, we don't have a lot extra coming up. We still have lots of ideas that I would say we haven't implemented yet that are still kind of in the hopper. So we've had a couple repeat guests and every time they come, they say, it's oh fun. It's fun to see what, you know, then you've added since we've been here. So we have toys for the kids to play with. And I have a few, um, fun ideas of some things that I'm going to add, um, on for that. We have a gas fire pit, but I want to add kind of, you know, a real fire pit because some folks like making that real fire, um, you know, to sit outside in the country and stargaze um, is, you know, the cows are obviously a draw, but being just out, you know, in the Iowa, you know, landscape and seeing the stars can be a really special thing too for a lot of people. Absolutely. That's the best. I'm definitely intrigued. Um, I definitely want to come out and visit and like I said, hope to milk a cow or two and meet the calves. Yes see all the things. I don't know about the manure. I know you say that's, that's fun for some, maybe, (laughs) maybe for some, not for all. Uh, Yes. It's an important piece of the puzzle. (laughs) It's, it's a necessary one, but this just sounds like so much fun. And I think that, you know, it's a great opportunity. I think that agritourism is something that is increasingly more, um, you know, attractive to a lot of people because we're trying to get back to our roots. We're trying to reconnect with the land, we're trying to learn. And, you know, I think you and I talked about this when we had originally talked. It's like learning when you're traveling is such an important and enriching part of going new places. And I really think that um, there are a lot of people that feel the same way. So this is really fun. And um, I look forward, hopefully, to coming and visiting. And I know that um, our listeners, I'm sure, are as well. Let them know where they can find information on New Day Dairy. Yeah, the easiest and best way, I think, for most things is to find our website, and that is newdaydairy.com. So that's, you know, the quickest, easiest way, and you can book directly there, find out about other things to do in the area, and hopefully have most of your questions answered. Fantastic. Well, newdaydairy.com, Lynn and Dan, go visit them and the cows. And uh, thank you so much for taking some time away from the cows to spend with us tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Food Radio, supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.